Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Ann Friedman. And I'm Amina Tussauds. And on our agenda today is the pro-Hillary cowboy country song, Amina's amazing meeting with the notorious RBG, New Age bullshit that I encountered in Guatemala, and uh, Selma, a movie everyone should see, and uh, and why it's so 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 relevant. like sexy country hunk singing a stand with Hillary song and I did not know that you hadn't seen it I assume that you had seen it and had all kinds of feelings about it but I feel like this is where the riffs in like various like pre-candidacy Hillary groups start to show because I'm sure that like the ready for Hillary people or like the other packs are like what the fuck are you doing yeah what the hell is stand with Hillary so this is like a different thing I think so Wow, Hillary, everybody is rooting for you, including these hunky country people. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because like conservative internet was like, oh my God, can you believe the pandering? And I actually thought it was a joke. Like the first time I saw it, I was I was like remembering all over again how in 2008, it was like mom shame about Hillary. Like unwarranted, I know, but this video was just like, oh my God, like. Oh so man! So I clicked on the Facebook page for this, and I'm not impressed. I mean, uh oh, 125 likes. The only other page they like is Chelsea, but great Hillary portraits. Yeah, sorry. Ready for Hillary will forever be the like. That's where we're going. Anyway, uh, just like a little snippet of the, I, I don't know, I feel like I want to know what other videos rogue pro-Hillary groups are making oh now. Oh my god, and this dude's face, and there's a poster that just says, she fights for country. What? I know! I can't figure it out. <laughs> I am not ready for 2016. I am. Where's like... the BuzzFeed interview with the hunky Hillary cowboy? Yeah! Oh my god, yeah, no. We gotta bug our BuzzFeed friends. This is insane. 
Okay. Yeah. Thank you. God bless. God bless America. God bless <laughs> Hillary. This is amazing. Okay, do you want to do a check-in? Yeah, sure. I mean, I heard you met your idol. Uh, I think you mean the spirit animal of this podcast, one Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. Oh my god. Fanning myself over here. Um, I mean, I'm basically dead. This whole podcast is coming to you from the beyond. I just, <laughs> I, I'm not saying I cried, but I definitely teared up a little bit. She's like Anne. She's everything. The R.I.P. I mean, uh, R.I.P. I, I'm not here. I think you have to explain how you got in there, like how you found your way into Ruth's chambers. <laughs> I found my way into Ruth's chambers. Well, you know, I have many side hustles, and one of these side hustles with my good friend Frank Chi was plastering Washington D.C. with stickers that said, um, "You can't spell the truth without Ruth." And they, you know, she, like, looks pretty gangster. She has a Basquiat crown on. And all of this was happening tangentially at the same time as the uh, notorious RBG Tumblr was picking up. That is run by this amazing lady, Shayna Kaysnick, that we are also homies with. And so RBG wrote and she said that she wants to meet the young people that, you know, like, are making her internet famous. Who's going to say no to that? So, long story short, I got in a red eye, <laughs> lol, so painful, um, to go meet RBG. Rewind. RBG had a stent put in, which is heart surgery for those of you people who don't know. And she was back at work like five days later. Which That's unstoppable. Yeah, no, she's com- she's like, democracy depends on it. Women's bodies <laughs> depend on it. Tort reform depends on it. So she's back at work, right? I got to go to, like, really boring oral arguments. Something, something, tort reform, something, something, attorney general. I don't know. The government is whack. But so (laughs) after that, we got to go to her chambers and meet her. And Anne, she's, like, she's amazing. She's, like, tiny, but projects so much power. The first thing I saw in her office was um, the Elle magazine with Lord on the cover. Trust. That's just how we know, you know. I'm just like, we know. Power ladies reading about other power ladies. Power ladies, right? Also, she's, like, back at work five days later. So, usually when you have a stent, it goes through your groin. I don't understand medicine. (laughs) (laughs) But RBG is so gangster. She's like, sorry, homie, I gotta be back at work. Like, what can you do for me? So, they put the stent in through her wrist, and she, like, showed us. It's so gnarly. It was so gnarly. Like, she's bruised everywhere. And uh, I was like, Ruth, what do you want your, um, sorry, your honor, notorious RBG, <laughs> what do you want your internet fans to know? And she like doesn't skip a beat and she goes, uh, I'll, she's like, I'll be back to working out next week. <laughs> Cause oh my God. Because you know, she's like a little fitness hound. She like does those Canadian Mountie workout or whatever it's called. Somebody's going to have to fact like- check like what it's actually called, but it's like a serious workout like calisthenics like military calisthenics you know she's definitely more fit than like anybody i know our age so uh sorry so yeah she's like i'll get back to work and then i like insist a little and she goes oh and good job (laughs) (laughs) she's so great like even during the oral arguments she was the only one like giving it her all well her and sotomayor i felt like kagan also pulled her weight the dude's dead weight um 
Clarence Thomas basically took like a two hour nap, cold blooded. <laughs> he was just like not into it. Justice Breyer was like trying to get Clarence Thomas to like tell jokes with him. And you realize that this is why I didn't like cameras in the Supreme Court, because we can all see that they're clowning around. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is what you're doing? Like, telling side jokes and chilling. That one is taking a nap. Not cool. Fate of the nation. LOL. LOL. <laughs> yeah, no, we gotta get cameras in there. Like, maybe they'll button it up. You know, like, people are bringing them juice. They're just, like, people are bringing them dictionaries. They're, like, just free for all. I need you to dispel, a, like, a personal dream I have about RBG's chambers, which is that she has, like, a secret closet, kind of like how Batman goes to change into his, <laughs> his suit full of her lace cravats. Like, you know, like, just you open the door and they're, like, lined up beautifully the way rich ladies' closets have their shoes. <laughs> oh, man. The, the collar, the, like, beautiful lace collar that she was wearing that day, she just goes, um, Katie Curry gave me this. Oh my god. <laughs> Which you should watch the Katie Couric Notorious RBG interview because Notorious RBG like schools her. It's incredible. I have seen a couple of clips and was like, was a little bit like, this is what happens when you spend too much time in morning television. No, I mean, basically. And now Yahoo. Well done, Katie. <laughs> but, you know, she's like... You're not gonna sing it? <laughs> she, like, tries to be her, like, bubbly self and RBG's, like, hashtag actually multiple times. And clearly, to atone, she, like, gave her a beautiful collar. Right. Respect. I feel like that's a good gift. I mean, ugh. Yeah, so I basically met my Shiro, like, best year ever. Yes. You didn't ask for a selfie, did you? That's like... Um, <laughs> no, but we definitely took a group photo, and I made sure that I was the closest person to her. Yes. Yeah, Mama don't play games. Um, I want to talk about Justin Ginsburg's clerks for two minutes, because they're yes. all, like, young people. One of them was, like, fairly handsome, unclear what their vibe is. None of them can take pictures, like, worth shit. I was like, how old are you that you don't know how to, like, take a picture in the Instagram square? Get it together. Right. They don't teach like, you this shit at law out. school. They don't teach you this shit at law school. Ugh. Oh, one more thing that happened at the Supreme Court, Anne. Um, there was a really beautiful man in a man bun. And I, like, feel like for DC, that's a crazy... That is a crazy thing to occur in a federal building. Wow. Are you allowed to wear a man bun into a federal building? I don't know. But I feel that, like, because of where he was seated and how intensely he was listening, he was affiliated with one of the families of the plaintiffs. Then I fell asleep and one of the guards woke me up and was like, ma'am, <laughs> like, very sternly called me out. Are you about to tell me you dreamed the whole man sequence? <laughs> no, it I wasn't definitely real? saw him, but I dozed <laughs> off for like, t like mm, six minutes. I don't know. And tort reform is so boring. It's like, just watch that, uh, that McDonald's coffee documentary. That's the only thing you need to know. Everything else is just garbage. Ugh, I... I believe I told you when we talked about this earlier that I, when I was like a baby intern at Mother Jones, I thought I was going to be a serious reporter and stop <laughs> writing about this dumb women's rights stuff. Really, really pitch some stories that they would be surprised were coming from a younger woman and decided I was going to write about tort reform of all things. <laughs> 
I think I wrote like one article for the website and I was like, this is so boring. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like still vaguely unclear what tort reform is. All I know is like, yeah, boring people want to be part like, like it. Unclear. I just picture tort with an E every time and I'm like, mm. <laughs> snacks reform. <laughs> we do need to reform the tort and make it more widely available. Oh my God. Yeah. I, you know how sometimes I tell you I want to go to law school and then I'm like, ugh, tort reform, ugh, contracts, ugh, constitution, who cares? The reality um, is not pretty. Yeah, it's not pretty. Okay, enough about my crazy, like, situation. I believe Instagram tells me you were in Guatemala <laughs> when you were meeting doing your yoga and writing. Can you, like, oh tell me more? So, can we preface this by saying that I don't do yoga? Like, I had and been... Be- you went to a yoga retreat. You do well, yoga. Just own I, it. Well, now I think it's fair to say that. Before I went, I had been to one yoga class in my entire life, and... This trip came about because my friend Gracie, who is a yoga teacher, was telling me last year about a yoga retreat in Bali. And she was like, yeah, it's kind of my job. I go to Bali and I teach yoga for a week. And it's like a way to get my travel paid for. And I sort of jokingly said, well, let me know when you want to do a version that needs some kind of writing workshop because I can make that up. And then she was like, oh, actually... (laughs) Um, So anyway, so we did that, and I was very, very nervous about doing yoga every single day for a week, which... How many times a day? So it was like two and a half hours (sighs) of sweaty yoga, or, I mean, some combo of that and, like, the thing where you just lie on various blocks and (laughs) relax, and it's called yoga, but it's like you're not really doing anything. So yeah, it was lots per day. And I have to tell you, I was not prepared. I know, again, like things anyone would know going into this. I was just not prepared for the weird new agey religious yoga world that retreat centers like this exist in. I didn't even have the vocabulary for it. I didn't know there were so many ways to talk about energy. (laughs) (laughs) And intentional community. Oh my God. And also just like fucking chakras what what the hell like i feel like if you're an evolved spiritual being you don't need to think about a specific physical place in your body where like a certain thing happens <laughs> which sort of chakra like, gets referred to the most i don't the root chakra <laughs> <laughs> there was like i mean i was like do you mean pooping <laughs> Anyway, it brought up lots of uncomfortable Catholic stuff from my childhood where I was sort of like, oh, this is a community of religious people whose beliefs I don't totally share, even if I can get with some of your underlying principles. And it it's really alienating. And I think if I hadn't had a friend there who could be my translator to that world, it would have been it would have been way worse. But I don't know. I mean, this is stuff that people have known since the 70s, that like when (laughs) white people, Columbus, like a pulpery of religions from other countries, weird things happen. Yeah, white people have no chill. So was it like all white ladies on your retreat? Oh, totally. I mean, (laughs) think about every stereotype you have. And they were all lovely. Like, I don't, you know, they were all great ladies. But just think about every stereotype you have about... Like, for example, there was an energy worker, which I don't even know what that is. It's some kind of massage therapist named, like, Rama, but he's an old white guy. Like, and it's an adopted name sort of thing. You know, like, all of those little stereotypes are true. 
And it doesn't mean it wasn't a, like, interesting experience, but it it's not really like I went to Guatemala. It's like I, I took a trip to a strange, new-age, white people place. And it was, like, it was interesting and it was, like, good in lots of ways. I think it's probably healthy that I did yoga every day for a week, but it was profoundly weird. Yeah, and we talked about how India has a yoga minister now, and he wants to, like, bring yoga back to its Indian roots, and everybody knows it's too late. The white people are never going to give it back. I thought it was so interesting, too. Like, they'll basically talk about every spiritual tradition in the world, except for the ones traditionally embraced by white people. So, you know, so 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 there was the, the, the woman who ran the center, who was perfectly nice and hospitable, she would be talking about, you know, whatever, the spiritual energy of the place, or she would be talking about, like, I'd like to lead you in a meditation sort of thing. That only happened once. Um, <laughs> and and it would be, you know, she'd be throwing out phrases in Sanskrit, and she would be talking about Mayan stuff, and she would be, and here's the Lakota Sioux prayer. But, like, you know, of all of the religious references made, it's like Christianity is this third rail, which... It's funny because to me, it's, I mean, I guess these people are probably reacting to some kind of more mainstream Christian upbringing. And so to invoke that as part of the same uh, way of thinking about the world is strange to them. But I don't know. It was really, it was weird. I think that's really interesting what you're saying, because I think that it gets to why Columbusing like anything is so just, just like rage inducing for the people on the other side of it <laughs> it's just this, right. like why people never stay in their lane and they always pretend that they come from like no culture it's like no you have your own shit build that up please by all means yeah and so it's like i don't know i mean i think i i believe listen whatever works for people if there are people who like were having a really hard time and then found this pulpery of someone they're actually referred self like was self-referring to him his, like, beliefs as new age, which I was shocked. That's, like, the self-identifying hipster. <laughs> Just, like, you, you never see it in the wild. But, um, you know, if whatever works for people, great. But there just also seemed to be no acknowledgement whatsoever. Like, if, if the guy who had referred himself as new age was like, yeah, you know, kind of taken from every tradition that isn't a white people tradition and made a thing for ourselves that we call new age, if that had been acknowledged... Not that it's awesome, but, like, somehow that would have made me, like, oh, at least you know what's going on here. Russell Brand tattoo body situation. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. The entire thing was, like, Russell Brand's tattoos. Oh, man. So crazy. Um, I mean, I sound like I'm complaining, though. Like, actually, like, Guatemala is beautiful, and I did some traveling in the week after that was definitely not yoga world. (laughs) And... You know, and I also like had a great time with all the lovely people on the retreat. I don't mean to say just complain about this one thing, but that is sort of the thing that I can't stop thinking about. Did you use your um, high school Spanish? Oh my gosh, it, high school, college Spanish totally came back. Oh to yeah, because you did Spanish in college too, right? Yes. I did, but I, I never lived this. abroad, so I and I just I'm very aware. I, I use it in LA when it's 
like an actual communication issue, but I don't, I'm very aware of not wanting to be the white girl at the taco truck who doesn't actually speak Spanish, but then is like, dos de lengua, por favor. Like in like <laughs> her Spanish class accent. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel so, so I was kind of surprised to, to like learn that I could totally communicate everywhere just fine. It's like, it's like the brain is a fantastic thing that actually holds this stuff pretty Ugh, deep. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I used it. You know, banter with waiters and that sort of thing. Like, I don't really think I deserve a prize, but... <laughs> oh my god, Anne Friedman Spanish banter. I would pay for that tape. Ugh, Anish banter. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me, Aminatu. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com. Offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Uh, oh my god, Anne, I also have another weird update for you. So remember how a couple of weeks ago I was dying of cramps on this yes. very podcast? Yes, I do <laughs> it, remember. It turns out I was actually dying. I had to go to the ER. I had to get a blood transfusion. So I've been on this whole <laughs> like journey to figure out like what type of birth control I like my body will be happy with. And oh my I got mybirthcontroljourney.com. Like women should be filling that god. out. So I got fitted for an IUD, but didn't actually get the IUD yet because there's like not enough Ativans in the world for me to do both of those things on the same day. And I was freaking out. And so I've been like emailing and talking to everybody I know who has the Morena IUD. And like clearly it's like 50-50, right? Like some people are like, oh my God, I haven't had a period in like four years. Thanks, Barack Obama. And other, people, and other are like, people are like the shining elevator yeah, doors. Yeah, no, they're like, uh, it perforated my vagina. We can feel it when I have sex. Like, just like a nightmare. There's no, it seems that there's no middle ground with women in birth control. But so, anyway, I was complaining about this at work. And this like older lady pulls me aside and she like whispers to me. And I think that she's going to say something like super controversial. And she's like, have you thought about doing a depo shot? And I was like, whoa, what? Really? I was like, whoa, interesting. And she, like, made a case for, like, 
the depot shot. She's like, it's every three months. It'll drive you a little crazy in the beginning. Maybe a little face hair, but like, <laughs> it's like nowhere near the stress of having an IUD put in if you're a baby like me. And now I'm all sorts of confused. I'm like, uh, too many options. None of them easy. I honestly only know depot in the context of like, like clinics offering it to low income teens, like who then go crazy on it because they're not prepared. Yeah, you know why I mean? would like, you I, give that to teens? You have to come back every three months. I don't know. But but I do know that that was like, you know, a standard thing for a long time. Um, Basically, so- if you have a depot shop, please email us me specifically because <laughs> I am dying to know what the deal is. So wait, so you are you holding off on the IUD and actually considering uh, the depot thing? If I don't have to like have that ten minute sensation of dying while they put it in, and I can have a shot instead and risk some like chin hairs, I'm so down for that. Let's be real, we're equipped to deal with chin hairs. <laughs> Very oh experienced god. in the chin hair department. Oh my god, what if I just get a permanent beard? <laughs> I mean, I, I still think I choice... could deal with that versus the like abject fear that I have about the IUD versus like puncture, just the word puncture related to anything in sort of that region of the body. Yeah. Also, like... just like never Google vagina stories because nobody has nobody will tell you like pleasant stories. There's mm. this one like I don't remember what it's called, like IUD divas or something like some live journal. <laughs> Everybody on there, it's just nightmare town. Um, I've never Googled that, although I'm kind of shocked that I haven't Googled vagina stories. Maybe we should buy that URL. (laughs) Everything is just, yeah, it's crazy. And also I talk to these like older ladies who are all, it, you know, like we've been doing this since like eight, like 1776. This is the same way they do pap smear, (laughs) same way they like do birth control. 1776, the year we achieved vaginal independence. (laughs) Yeah, like nothing, nothing has changed. And I'm like, what is science doing? Like, stop. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want a smaller phone. I want birth control that works. I mean, I want both of those things. I want it all. Oh my god, I got one of those, like, uh, what are they called? Like, a wear, like a watch. You one did? One of those, like, digital watches. I mean, I didn't buy it, so I'll tell you that much. But, um, yes, I have one. And one, two problems. One, it doesn't recognize my name. <laughs> so it's the most, like, useless thing in the world to me. And then you realize that now you're forever chained to your email on your own wrist. Because that's the Ugh. only, like, good thing it can do for you. And don't you have to give it all direction by speaking to it? So Yeah, so when it doesn't recognize your name, it's a problem. It's like the Starbucks barista of, <laughs> of devices. <laughs> it's like so problematic. Oh my god, like that time the Starbucks lady wrote my name down as Ebony? Hmm, suspicious. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> oh my god, have we never talked about this? It was like my third week in New York. I worked at 41st and Madison. There's a Starbucks right across the street. You know, I don't drink coffee, but I like assorted teas and, (laughs) um, you know, and like French Madeline cookies. So I go, I order a tea and clearly my name is Amina. Just, Mm -hmm. 
you know, if anything, sometimes my Starbucks name is Samantha, but it just depends what the person on the other side of the counter looks like. Not even going to front. Ethnic people got Starbucks names. And, <laughs> but so anyway, I like say Amina, get my tea, leave, go back to the office. I'm in a meeting and one of my coworkers turns to me and goes, what does your cup say? <laughs> it said ebony on it. I think you could, that could have been a lawsuit. Speaking I mean, of so listen, reform. I thought about it. I was like, this is going to be viral. I'm going to tweet it. I'm just going to, I'm going to be one of those like people that started Twitter outrage. The company's going to apologize to me. We're going to have free Starbucks in this family forever. But I wanted to make sure that the person who did it was a white person because you can't accuse like fellow people of flavor on this kind of stuff. Right. And so I didn't, I did a drive by by the Starbucks and I couldn't, it was like racially ambiguous. So I dropped it. Oof. Oof. But I thought about it. I don't really know how to inoffensively transition to talking about Selma. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about Selma because we've both seen it, which is a rarity. Normally I'm like months and months and months behind the curve. I loved the portrayal of women in the movie. Yay! Like, and the, the, the thing that you can really... I mean, one of the moments for me where I'm like, oh, definitely a woman, you know, wrote or rewrote this and directed it is because there's a scene where MLK and kind of like, like the leadership group of the SCLC is at a woman's house and she's like making them breakfast and just this like representation of the women who cooked for the people who were recognized as the leaders of the movement being important and integral in this really, you know, not, you know, beating you over the head with it kind of way was really awesome. No, totally. And I think that like culturally too, it's really interesting that it comes out of this time where everybody is still reeling from what happened in Ferguson and, what happened with Eric Garner in New York and I just I thought the movie was fantastic I think the director is like just like top-notch lady mm -hmm. uh I hope she wins every single every just, award I, I just I hope she wins every single award the cinematography is nuts <sighs> something I I was really surprised at how powerful I thought this movie was because, you know, on the onset, it seems, at least to me, I don't like to watch, like, black biopics. What? How do you say that word? I don't know. But <laughs> I don't ever know. Biopic? 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 Who knows? <laughs> but, you know, because they're always, like, so full of cliches, right? Especially this one. It's just like, ugh, black civil rights leader. How just it's going to be. And I thought that this sidestep all of the cliches so, 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 so well. And it documented the 60s just, like, phenomenally. Uh, I don't know. I just... Well, just I think everything. It, it avoided that problem because it wasn't a biopic. Like, it wasn't about... It wasn't, like, MLK in Selma. It was about the movement more generally. And obviously, he's a huge, huge part of that. But what's so great about the film is that it's you know people who are icons and activists and leaders especially even at that level are not the only people who are responsible for change and it was really really great i was really struck by the fact that um the strategy was so shaped by how they were hoping to get media coverage you know this idea that they chose selma for a demonstration specifically because the cops were terrible, old, racist, good old boys. 
And, you know, they had protested and demonstrated peacefully in New York for months and months and months without the kind of media attention they hoped to get. And even taking this fight to Selma, it wasn't just like, how do we take this to the next level and go to like the heart of where these terrible voter disenfranchising laws are. It was, how do we get people with cameras to show up? And when I watched it, I had this reaction of like, oh, interesting. That's not a guiding thing that informs strategy anymore because everybody has a camera and every protest can be documented. But the more I think about that, I'm not sure it's correct because there are still flashpoints that get far more attention than, you know, your standard demonstration. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, too, that that tension is really apparent with the new generation of activists that you're seeing that are organizing in Ferguson, they're organizing in New York and all over the country around um, the Eric Garner decision to not indict that cop and a lot of people take these younger activists kind of for granted and don't realize that they do have a strategy and they are they are working really hard and they have demands and I think that they are also they're very media savvy you know as opposed to some of these older you're like Al Sharptons and whatever who who use media in this like one very singular way I think that it's been really interesting to see how social media has really been driving this, but even like traditional media. Yeah, and is still a there's huge an interesting the scene in the movie where King and his sort of brain trust are talking about what their literal demands in legislation are going to be, like exactly which types of voter disenfranchisement they want to target. And, you know, it's the, that scene doesn't end with a resolution of them being like, this is our underlying ask or like, this is the concrete thing that's going to fix everything, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, that's often a critic or criticism levied at modern day activists like, oh, they don't what's their one ask? They don't have the one thing that they want. And it's like, oh, wow, even now venerated, like who we would say are, say are highly successful activist leaders didn't have like one and perfect ask you know no totally you know another thing too that we were talking about i think this movie really drove home for me was i like clarified a lot of just misconceptions i've had of mlk mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know this idea specifically that like people conflate nonviolence with his like non-anger mm-hmm and I never, I never understood that. And I think that that movie makes this, like, crystal clear, right? right? It's not like the nonviolent strategy is one thing, but, like, he is angry and he is outraged. And, yeah, it's like one of my friends, he said that when he was growing up, he just believed that MLK wanted to walk up to white people and hug them, which is like, clearly a foolish thing to believe. Mm-hmm. But I've also been reading The Race Beat, And it's really, and there's this whole, like, amazing John Lewis chronicle, and John Lewis is just the most courageous and crazy human that came out of the civil rights movement, you know? And to look at him now, he's, like, an older statesman, and he's, you like, venerated, but realizing that, like, when these people were young, they, like, very few fucks to Mm -hmm. give and really put their lives on the line. I mean, all of the fucks to give. Like actually, actually, way more fucks than most people give when they're when they're that young. Yeah, no, you know the thing too that there's like this really obvious parallel to in the movie about like MLK and the the like epic speeches mm-hmm. and how Obama is perceived right now. It's you always feel in in a lot of the you know like especially the like iconic I have a dream speech <laughs> that MLK is basically talking to white people like he's not talking to black mm-hmm. people. 
And it's the same thing with Obama, right? Like, in a lot of these, like, race messages that he's been doing, he just works really hard to keep the anger of the out of the message. Yeah. Because you have to, like, go out of your way to show love. And that was that was something that really that really struck me the other thing is also just like how powerful the script was because they didn't have the rights to any of the like iconic speeches that we know and they had to like write around that and rewrite them and that like i mean that's massively impressive yeah and then but i think it also worked to their advantage wherein not that your ears really glaze over at things like the arc of history is long but it bends towards justice but it's like but we've heard it you know what i mean like there's something about hearing the the message but put through words that aren't totally familiar that i think actually made it stronger yeah, no, agreed. So basically, everybody go watch this movie. It's amazing. You'll probably cry. It, yes, everybody in it is incredible. Every high school history and civics teacher, make your students watch this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> Also, so much casual racism in Hollywood. Oh my, oh my god. Like, talking racist shit about the president talking racist shit about kevin hart love you kevin hart but question do you think that hollywood is worse or that it's just like if you tapped into every white american's email you would get stuff that was just that bad or worse so i don't know that it's worse there's like segments of culture and population that i just believe that they're idiots you know it's no matter how hard they work i'm like mm, this is why we don't come for you when important things happen it's like people in fashion, so racist, and they're like, what are you talking about? There's one black girl walking this show, and I'm like, okay. Or they're like, like hashtag <laughs> art. This is art. Exactly. Like, hashtag art. I'm like, you people will just get, for like, yes. I'm like, you will get forgotten, and that's right. fine. Like, that's not the hill I want to die on. But Hollywood executives, like, same thing. The thing, um, actually, to tie this back to MLK, David Oyelowo, who plays... MLK and Selma was saying that like the thing that was really weird I don't know what the appropriate word for this was <laughs> about the leaks is that and he like actually used this word it like shows that you're not crazy and by you he means like black people <laughs> you know like you're not crazy and you're not paranoid right. it's all real um <laughs> about all of this stuff right he's like no no it's so real one of my favorite things that's come out of this whole thing is uh, <laughs> Amy Pascal, like, saying that she, like, she's reached out to civil rights leaders like Jesse Jackson to start the healing process. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I hope that your healing process includes giving, like, multi-movie deals to Ava DuVernay because That's how you can atone. Every... <laughs> yes, I'm like, that's how you can atone. But so anyway, to answer your question, I, you know, like, I don't know that, like, Hollywood's more racist than anyone, but I know that, like, a lot of dumb and ignorant people get really powerful jobs there and probably never going to... Ch like, the fact that you can make, like, a racist joke about the president on your email, like, that's how I know you're an idiot. Right. <laughs> Also, can we talk about this for two seconds? Because, so, my personal email, full of shit talk. Like, I will cop to that. If North Korea doxed my email today, I'd probably lose a lot of friends. No joke. My professional email, though, on the other hand, <laughs> buttoned up as fuck. <laughs> because you, you gotta write that email as if you were gonna get subpoenaed. Separate? They just use work email for everything? Yes, because like old people, but also a lot of my Hollywood friends use their person that use their work emails for like personal calls, which I just I've always segregated. Right. <laughs> but I just I thought that everybody knew this, at least like everybody who works in an office. If you want to talk shit about somebody, pick up the phone because 
because <laughs> you like just never put never put that stuff in writing like somebody's bad review or somebody just like never do pick up the phone go over to somebody talk to them about it and then recap the conversation on email if you have to document it but like you know you still have to be circuitous about it because here's the thing that like most people are idiots about about email it's not that like some weird foreign government is going to leak your email. The thing is that like everybody forwards your email. Do you really want some shitty thing that you said about someone to get forwarded to them or like <laughs> get into their hands inadvertently? That was really shocking to me that like executives like don't understand this. I mean, as you said, old people. Ugh, old people are bit, like, old people just need to like die out. This is crazy. Um, well, is that it for now? Do we have anything else? I think, I think that's it. Email, email your questions <laughs> to callyrgf at gmail.com or tweet us at the same callyrgf. You can also subscribe on iTunes or catch up with all of our back episodes at callyourgirlfriend.com. I'm going to, I think I'm going to go eat dinner. <laughs> um, yeah, go eat dinner. Uh, happy New Year. See you in 2015. Oh my God, see you on the internet. <laughs>